Welcome to Almost Here, Round the Corner of Future Technology podcast with Richard Jacobs. Future Technologies, poised to transform our lives for better or worse, are the focus of this podcast. Almost Here means these technologies are now here and starting to be used, or just around the corner, from Bitcoin to artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with Future Tech Podcast. Almost here, round the corner technology. And today I'm speaking with Dirk Avau of Intellect EU. Dirk, how are you doing? Hey, Rich. Uh, I'm doing fine. Thank you very much. Yeah, thanks for being here. Uh, Dirk is the CEO and founder of Intellect EU. Um, I'm going to let Dirk describe so I don't mess it up uh, the type of um, financial uh, integration that they do. So, you know, Dirk, can you give listeners a brief example and um, you know, overview of what you do. Well, exactly. So uh, from a historical standpoint, I'm a, I'm a former IBMer. I've been working for IBM for many years, and I also ended up doing jobs in the telecommunications industry. And then a number of years ago, I was a founder together with my colleague Hanna Zubko uh, from Kiev, Ukraine. We are both the founders of uh, Intellect EU. Uh, which from the very beginning has specialized in uh, financial messaging systems of all kinds globally, and especially the aspect of uh, integration. Integration meaning how to integrate uh, whatever back office system that is out there with a financial messaging system. So about three three years ago, uh, there were initial conversations about blockchain and distributed ledger technology. And Intellect EU uh, jumped on that bandwagon immediately from the very start. Uh, initially, uh, looking into technologies uh, like Ripple, uh, that was at that time around the corner. Uh, other technologies came along like Ethereum. And uh, uh, early last year, uh, or late 2015, uh, we became founding member together with a number of other companies, prestigious companies of the Hyperledger Foundation uh, initiative. So we are now founding member Hyperledger and uh, have become rather active in that space. So that's more or less what Intellect EU is doing. Okay, yeah, so we'll, I mean, you guys do a lot. Let's confine it to um, blockchain-backed technologies. So what kind of use cases are you involved in particularly? Uh, what kind of integrations are needed or would be helpful in the blockchain space? Uh, so the way we see uh, distributed ledger technology, given our background and our expertise, financial messaging. So the messaging part means that you put up systems between parties that fundamentally do not trust each other. So the world of financial messaging in the broad sense is an ideal case for distributed ledger technology. There, of course, as probably most of the people know, there is like the public open blockchain networks like the Bitcoin blockchain, Ethereum blockchain. And uh, we, from the very beginning, got more interested in the private permission blockchain side of it with a vision that these financial messaging uh, systems and things that are out there today can potentially benefit from additional functionality that DLT is offering. And that would then rather go into the private permission blockchain space uh, for which our company has uh, gotten specialized in Hyperledger. So we do see 
finance and in the very broad sense, including trade finance and applications and so on and so forth. That's like the key problem to be solved in the DLT space. Uh, obviously, it's absolutely true that uh, there are other use cases out there, be it in the healthcare industry, be it document management, be it legalization of specific uh, documents or tracking and tracing of assets. Uh, they're all out there. They're being experimented with. And at the moment, they all go out of the POC phase, like the proof of concept phase into the real pilots and potentially also real life applications. So this is actually why we speak uh, the thing that is going on. Well, for, all right. So for listeners that aren't very experienced, don't have any background in banking and finance, you know, what, can you give me a real, real basic example? What is financial messaging and how would a regular person encounter it in the world and what would they experience if with an improved process versus their current one? Okay, so in terms of financial uh, messaging, uh, it goes by the following. So I have a company in New York and I also have a company in uh, Kiev, Ukraine. And these companies, they have to exchange value, meaning that they have to send dollars out of uh, New York and it has to end up on some account in Kiev, Ukraine, which is potentially the local currency, which is called the Grivna. So a message is then being created between the financial institutions, let's say banks at the different levels, which hold the promise that this money will actually be transferred in a certain way from point A on the globe to point B on the globe. That's a financial uh, message that contains information on how this should be transferred, through which channels it should be transferred, and so on and so forth. So that's the notion of, of a message. So it means like any transaction that a corporation might look into doing globally or, or even locally uh, gets translated into some way to communicate with the other party that this is actually some money that is going to come. Now, on the basis of this financial message, uh, there are processes being executed on different, what we call back office systems in the different banks that are in between point A and point B and that will deal with that transaction. Uh, financial processes are initiated and are uh, executed that will make it happen that this value potentially goes into the other uh, bank's account where the corporation can benefit from it. Now, the big thing that uh, we have found out in the market is that there is uh, something very specific about payments, which is the finality of the settlement. And okay. uh, banks within themselves or financial institutions, they can do experiments on DLT blockchain technologies where they do actual movement of value, but that movement in terms of uh, financial transactions does not really occur until some central authority has actually cleared and settled the transaction. So beyond just sharing information about how value is going to be exchanged, uh, we felt that we needed to involve also uh, central authorities, call it central banks, in the total execution of the payment. And that is what can be called transaction finality. So our company got very interested in how we can use distributed ledger technology to kind of emulate RTGS systems, which stands for real-time growth settlement uh, systems, where the 
settlement finality is also included in the transfer of value that you can potentially do with distributed ledger technology. Yeah, that's that's kind of strange. So you initially described it as uh, institutions that don't trust each other, so they need this financial messaging in these systems. Um, it sounds like banks don't trust each other, and it sounds like the uh, regulating authorities don't trust the banks. I mean, how, how can you make this whole process smoother? You know, when you gave the example of transferring money from your U.S. bank to your Ukraine company's bank, you know, what kinds of things can you do to smooth this out, make it faster, make it easier, less intermediaries, et cetera? Uh, well, that is exactly what is being investigated. Uh, by creating a distributed ledger network where uh, the different participants in the network, call it the banks or the financial institutions, they become uh, peers or nodes on the blockchain that is implemented. Uh, the whole system, the blockchain system, which would be in this case a permission system, a private system, where only the participating banks would be uh, connected on that specific blockchain. So the, in this configuration, the value can be put on a specific peer on the blockchain and can then be transferred to other peers in the blockchain, meaning, for instance, other banks, where mm -hmm. the whole consensus mechanism will be applied within the whole group which defines the, the blockchain group on which the DLT is implemented. So to make it more specific, if we do hyperledger implementation, uh, we have different flavors of it, so that's rather technical, but essentially a number of peers will start to communicate with each other and they have a consensus mechanism which they agree upon, which is called BBFT, it's Practical Byzantine Fault Tolerance uh, a consensus mechanism. And then the peers will exchange this value between themselves. Now, if, if uh, hypothetically, within that peer system, there is also a central authority, central authority can guarantee that whatever is exchanged as financial value between the different peers will also be uh, settled uh, with a settlement finality included in there. Okay, so how, how many participating institutions would be needed for um, you know a consensus that doesn't give any one particular one uh, too much power? You know, what kind of distribution? How many countries, or how many different kind of banks, or you know, what would be needed to do this? Um, there's a whole story to tell there, in the sense that uh, there is different consensus algorithms, and depending on which algorithm you choose, you may end up with all the peers participating in a consensus mechanism, which will eat up a lot of processing time, or you can have other consensus mechanisms where you would involve less peers doing the actual consensus or the validation, uh, so that you would have, uh, let's say, a slightly increased risk for uh, organizations to do some fraudulent transactions potentially, but on the other hand, you uh, scale up tremendously in terms of performance. So it just depends uh, on which type of 
consensus algorithm that you would agree to have within that specific group. We're now referring to uh, hyperledger specifically, uh, if I can mention that. So sure, there is there is different versions of it coming along, uh, and as said. Uh, what we are more specifically looking into is Hyperledger Fabric. And Hyperledger Fabric is like uh, one of the four uh, incubation projects within Hyperledger General Project. And Hyperledger Fabric is derived from uh, IBM Open Blockchain with uh, additional contributions coming from uh, digital asset holdings, from Blockstream, uh, to some extent from Ripple and a number of other contributors to uh, Hyperledger Fabric, as we call it. Uh, today's version, Hyperledger Fabric, is the 0.6 version, which has its limitations. It's not even a version 1, but it's a 0.6. But it's actually already a very good uh, DLP, Distributed Ledger Technology product, mm -hmm. that you can actually use as a framework to develop applications. Uh, moving into... Uh, Hyperledger 1.0, which will be out there, let's say February, March, April timeframe, which will be more robust. And Hyperledger, or at least Fabric 1.0, will already address a number of those potential performance issues in terms of consensus mechanisms that would not be dealing with all the peers being involved, but where you make a distinction between different types of peers, you give them different mm -hmm. roles. And the different roles that the peers have will make up a system that will have an increased performance. So the whole thing that what, Intellect EU, so, yes, sorry. Oh, well, yeah. Quick question: What kind of peers are there in uh, in this kind of system? I guess banks. What else? What, what else would be considered a peer of a different no, level? No, no, no. It's it's more it's more technical. In fact, so today we're oh. talking about uh, let's say. Uh, validating peers and non-validating peers and also validating leaders. So it's a qualification of, of the technology that is implemented within the the peers. So a peer is, is like a location, it's, it's a bank, but the bank or the, the software that is running in the bank can take up different roles depending on what should actually be executed on, on the blockchain. And this is to be defined. So. Mm a membership service will define which roles which peers can play so that we can make an optimal system to do what it has to do, like a technical implementation of, for instance, uh, a payment system. Uh, it can be defined using all these technical qualifications that can go in the specific peers. The big added okay. value of uh, what we saw is just to finish on that one with, with a hyperledger as a as an architecture is that it is very modular and modular and modularity in this case means that whatever is out there as technology today uh, may significantly be improved in six months time frame if it's a modular technology we will always put in the better components of what is available uh, within the same uh, framework Example, if uh, universities come up with better consensus algorithms, potentially we can take out current consensus algorithm and plug in other ones. And this integration capability is again one of the key strengths of what Intellect EU is trying to build uh, expertise in. Makes sense. Okay. Well, um, 
will Hyperledger have anything to do with a token that has value, uh, currency, you know, cryptocurrency, or is it purely blockchain and distributed ledger and making sure that transactions are memorialized there? Uh, well, I would say uh, the latter of what you just said. Uh, we are not really looking much into cryptocurrencies as such, and Hyperledger okay. is not making use of any cryptocurrency, uh, which makes it more appealing for certain type of use cases where cryptocurrency would rather be a burden huh, to take into account than an added value. So in the case of uh, Hyperledger, we would potentially define the digital currency meaning a digital representation of an existing fiat currency rather than involving Bitcoin as a currency or a colored coin or, or whatever. Well, I think it's fascinating that uh, Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies are diverging from blockchain. The use cases can be totally different. And like you said, you know, systems like Hyperledger can operate, you know, with a blockchain backing, but very, very little to do with cryptocurrency involved it's more of a memorialization of of transactions and and you know by consensus so i just think that's very interesting and i think a lot of people don't understand that that there's this divergence which is a good thing i think absolutely so uh, well as everybody knows bitcoin has been looked a little bit uh, as being something let's say weird or or whatever and mm -hmm. To, to fully understand the case, so uh, Intellect EU has always been working with existing banks, existing central banks, financial institutions, and those guys, they're not there to welcome disruption too much immediately. Right. So with coming in there with the message, we're going to disrupt you, like, okay, we don't need you anymore because we're going to go full <laughs> Bitcoin, is not right. really the message that they appreciate to hear to begin with, or that they can make very practical in, in its usage. Now, as, as you just referred to yourself, the, the Bitcoin is based on the blockchain. The blockchain is a technology, it's a transactional technology, database of transactions that follows its course. And using the concepts and the notions and the ideas of the blockchain, uh, irrespective of the Bitcoin, which is a value on top of the blockchain, but using the blockchain functionality, that part becomes very exciting and interesting for any type of organization around the world, financial or non-financial institutions, because of the fact that the technology itself offers a lot of new opportunities for cost reduction, for increased efficiency, for distribution of trust in, in organizations or, or communities that actually don't trust each other, and the trust is then uh, built in the crypto, uh, the crypto security in, within uh, the blockchain factor. Right. So you're absolutely right. Yeah, I, I look at um, a blockchain as like a Jenga tower. I don't know if you've ever played that game with the blocks that you stack up. and If you pull one of the blocks out, the whole thing can collapse. I don't know if that uh, helps you, but... It... Well, it's one way of looking at it, yes. So the immutability of the blockchain is one of the biggest uh, advantages, let's say. Uh, so... Cheating becomes rather uh, difficult. Uh, you cannot uh, change, well, blockchain by definition is, uh, is immutable. So it, it's not about mm. changing a transaction that happened a few weeks or years ago. Once it goes in the blockchain, it, it's in there forever and you can only uh, change it by reversing the transaction in, in doing an opposite transaction.
Yeah, it's funny to to an outsider. I think that a lot of people that are outsiders to the the you know banking and finance think that there's a unified front. You know, all the banks communicate and trust each other. All the uh, financial institutions are in cahoots or in league with each other. But I guess you're saying it's not like that at all. So the need for hyperledger is important. Well, uh, it's it's a little bit more nuanced than that. It's not that they fundamentally distrust each other, but they have to have some layer in between that certifies that an action taken by a party is really that party and is not somebody who is representing himself as that party. So it's very fundamental, I think. And uh, like, for instance, SWIFT is playing that role very well. So SWIFT is bringing members on, on the membership uh, services of SWIFT. So the, the members, they have been vetted, they have been screened, they have been identified, they have, they're given a BIC, uh, a business identifier code. So it makes up a member network. You need some central space, a central thing that guarantees that A is A and is doing transaction, which B, which is actually B, and confirms that can happen. So this, this part of trust is required for the system to work. Uh, on top of that, when you look at uh, country legislations within a country, you have in all countries of the world the notion of the central bank who is monitoring what the actual banks, physical banks in their legislation are doing, in their jurisdiction what they are doing, they are being monitored. Uh, and you, you need that central instance for the game to be played in a fair and correct way all over. Okay. How do you think that, um, you know, possible adoption of, uh, of Hyperledger or some other, you know, blockchain-based technology is going to affect the adoption of Bitcoin or other cryptocurrencies? Do you think it'll have no effect? Do you think it'll help the adoption? Do you think it'll slow it because now banks won't feel the pressure uh, you know they'll have their own own system for running things that uh, you know works better for them that's a very very interesting question you're asking uh, it will go uh, that's just my personal opinion here uh, that first of all anything sure. we will be doing in the blockchain or DLT space it will space it will take time so it's not something that is going to be fully implemented in six months, 12 months. It's a gradual process that can take years. Uh, to have the technology as a blockchain and DLT technology, to have it accepted within existing institutions, it's a lot easier uh, to have these proof of concepts, to have these pilots and actual real implementations based on blockchain technology without any notion of cryptocurrency just for organizations to reap the benefits now immediately from uh, this technology. So immediate cost reduction, uh, immediately increased efficiency, depending on the use case, whatever it can be implemented fairly quickly. Uh, whether or not in the longer run this will uh, support or, or slow down uh, things like Bitcoin, that's as far as I'm concerned, open question for myself um, because I do see that when we can get away with introducing this type of technology, having the benefits there uh, without 
having to go through cryptocurrencies. Uh, that's already a big leap forward and something which, in my opinion, is a lot more acceptable to existing current uh, central banks, regulators, governments, uh, established financial institutions, and so on and so forth, before, potentially okay. in the far future, they will take on uh, uh, Bitcoin and uh, other types of cryptocurrencies. That's just my personal view. Yeah, I know this is all pure speculation. And, it, you know, continuing with uh, speculation, what do you see uh, for 2017? You know, we're at the beginning of 2017. What do you see is going to be happening, um, you know, with Hyperledger and with um, these private blockchains for the banking system? What do you think will be accomplished this year? Uh, so at the level of Hyperledger itself, it's very, very, very fascinating what is happening. First of all, we go with, uh, well, maybe just one step back. So Hyperledger, what's Hyperledger? Hyperledger is four projects for the time being. It can be called five, six, seven, whatever. It depends on what is accepted within Hyperledger umbrella project as it is today. So today we're talking, number one, about fabric. This is the open blockchain, IBM, the thing I was talking about before. A uh, second uh, thing happening within Hyperledger is Sawtooth Lake, which is the Intel version of uh, their DLT, which is being developed also under Hyperledger umbrella. Uh, the next one, and this is also very fascinating, is the Iroha project, which is a startup uh, in Japan that was also voted for uh, incubation to be under Hyperledger. It's uh, very much uh, like uh, Fabric, but it's written in C++ and it offers some technological advantages potentially in the future in terms of performance and scalability. So that's the third project. And even more exciting is uh, that R3 uh, has developed Corda and Corda is now open sourced and it's being looked into that Corda will also be like a number four big project within Hyperledger framework. So to your question, what's going to happen 2017? Well, all these four tracks, they will continue and they right. will continue in a way that all technical experts of all those fields, they gather every month at Hackfest in different parts of the globe. And there's significant and very interesting exchange of all these, it's same basic technology, but coming with different flavors and the synergies that are now being achieved within Hyperledger Framework, they become very, very interesting for the big move that we are making with Hyperledger into the enterprise ready DLT solutions, which are not like amateur or little projects around the corner, some things, but that right. can really go in the heart of the, the, the core systems of the bigger institutions. So this is what is happening while we speak again. So these uh, hackfests, these uh, member meetings bring the best experts in the world all together. And what is coming out of there is uh, answers to remarks that were uh, discovered, or at least possible improvements that have to be made on DLT technology for it to be acceptable for in industry ready applications in the field. So this, this is 2017. We're going to get to some basic 
production ready systems where engineers among others our own engineers they're developing business logic and code on top for really industry great uh, applications on DLT that can bring those short-term benefits to these organizations that are investing in it that's 2017 the real applications uh, looking forward 2017 2018 this will grow further but uh, the biggest uh, fantastic good energy is coming from getting those teams together giving answers to existing problems out there looking into two main things it's uh, scalability uh, like how to increase performance how to increase the number of transactions per second that we can uh, do with uh, with the, the DLT and the second challenge is the integration because the system cannot exist on its own it has to interact with systems that are already there so integration key component scalability is the other one and those two areas it's uh, being looked into by a huge number of parties around the globe ourselves being okay. one of them and and that's that's going to bring the real the real value to the end customers how do you think um a nation's sovereignty will be resolved with um, these these blockchains. You know how widespread or public will a given blockchain be? Let's say for banks. You know, well, you have nation A and nation B, but will they? Do you think that they'll end up using a blockchain that will um, that they'll both work off of? You know, banks in one country and banks in another country. Do you think it'll cross countries, or do you think the um, the notion of sovereignty will? stop a given blockchain system at the at the door or at the border um, my my inclination is to say that it's going to be one big uh, blockchain architecture uh, that the big challenge and interesting challenge also being looked into is also uh, how to have uh, sub blockchains if, if you will uh, that will link into the overall blockchain so interconnection between blockchains whether it's same technology or different technologies is an area to look into so how to make uh, different blockchain implementations in the world interconnect and that's an area also of investigation and research and testing so how to make blockchains work together so if the case is there that somebody decides to have his own thing in his corner it at some point in time will have to be integrated in what is generally mainstream happening so this this is also again an integration effort to be done but then integration at the level uh, blockchain to blockchain integration do you guess that um blockchain based protocols platforms will become the the default for all countries at some point in the near future well, again, this is my opinion, yes, for sure. So uh, compared to the internet, so where you had some protocol initially that is being adopted closely, and uh, it will even be a degree uh, deeper and higher integration than the internet already is. Um, so in that sense, yes, so it's going to be one, one blockchain, um, well, maybe not necessarily one specific implementation, but at least one way of dealing with blo blockchain globally, like we deal with one internet globally. Okay, very good. Um, sorry, I've been uh, 
making you use your prediction muscles so much in this call. But uh, That's <laughs> I figured I'd ask you if you have a unique insight. Yeah. So um, specifically from you know, Intellect EU, what can um, can people expect to see this year that you guys are going to be coming out with or facilitating? Um, so what we are doing at the moment, while technology is still, as we call, early days, is to look at what is out there, to monitor what can be improved. We are helping and contributing to the teams that are actually looking into improving the technology. We're adopting what has already been done and a specific focus more and more into uh, development of business logic on top of. So in the notion of or in the context of Ethereum, you have the notion of smart contract. In the notion of Hyperledger, you have what is called chain code. So we're looking into development of chain code that captures uh, business functions that would run on uh, the blockchain. Now for a variety of use cases, uh, chain code is being developed on top of Hyperledger, uh, which is going to go partially or completely in production 2017. So that, that's where we are. So go, uh, going out of the POCs into pilots and potentially real life applications. That's one thing. Second, uh, we are independent integrator. Uh, which means that we're kind of open to different stacks of technology, always starting from existing systems. Uh, typically, in our case, we call it back-office systems. You might also call it legacy systems. And then look mm -hmm. at where it makes sense to bring in distributed ledger technology, yes or no, because if it doesn't make sense at all, why bother? But if there is efficiency gains or improvements that are potentially possible is just to look into that and then to see how can we integrate it in what is existing already there so that a legacy, a 40-year-old legacy of, for instance, financial messaging does not have to be put aside. No. How can we build on top and bring this functionality with the idea how can we bring immediate benefits? So like 2017 cost savings on top of what is already uh, implemented. So this is what the 2017 will be for us. Um, early day experimenting with the technology, developing chain code, and seeing how it can integrate with uh, what is out there with existing systems, existing databases, and where is it bringing real value, and which other cases. Of course, there will be a lot of them that absolutely do not make sense to even try thinking about blockchain in those cases. Right. But, um a couple questions more, and then we'll be done. Can you give me just one or two examples of chain code and, and what it looks like um, to an end user? What are some use cases of it? Uh, well, uh, chain code, call it smart contract, will capture agreements. Uh, it's not a contract contract, but it's like uh, business logic that captures what exactly needs to be done. Uh, a very practical example that I sometimes give when I make presentations is that if there's a soccer game and uh, you, Rich, and myself, Dirk, we make a bet on who is winning and losing, uh, this, mm. uh, this agreement that we make verbally, it can be captured in what you could call smart contract, meaning that the blockchain will detect that you made a bet on 
the USA team and I made a bet on the Dutch team and whoever wins will give the other one $20. So the blockchain knows that you, Rich, you committed $20. So out of your account, $20 will be put aside, call it escrow. Uh, because in case that you lose the game, uh, you will have to pay me those $20. And we have to make sure that these $20 are available when the contract needs to be executed. The same goes on my side. So on my side, blockchain or smart contracts or chain code will say, we put those $20 that Dirk now has on his account. We will put them aside in escrow just in case that Dirk loses the bet. Now, then okay. there will be at a certain point in history, an historical event, and that event is that the game is being played. And uh, fortunately for me, I win the bet. So you owe me the $20. So given the outside information coming in the blockchain as a trigger, as an external message, it initiates the execution of the chain code. And the chain code says, oh, in this case, it was agreed between Rich and Dirk that Rich will be paying $20. So on my mobile phone, I get a, a message saying like, oh, all of a sudden after the game has been played, smart contract has been executed and you're now $20 richer than you were before because Rich paid you out that money automatically. So that's an example of chain code. That is some business logic that you capture in some coding, which is typically Go language on top of Hyperledger. And that will then be executed as soon as the conditions are there for it to be executed. So this is a simple example a more complex example could potentially be that if you uh, initiate an instruction for a uh, correspondent banking payment a payment that goes through correspondent banking the chain code could actually do verification of all the conditions whether all the conditions are met for a payment to be executed yes or no and depending on how the flow goes, the chain code can potentially recreate a similar message that will forward the initial financial message to yet another bank who has an interest or a need to get that information. So that's another more complicated example of what the chain code could potentially be. Okay, very good. And again, it's analogous to smart contracts. So Okay. All right, Dirk. Um, any other questions I should have asked you that we left out? Um, not specifically. It was very nice talking to you. So sure. just to, 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 to make a summary, uh, we've had initially so many years ago, Satoshi Nakamoto came in, coming up with Bitcoin, Bitcoin running on blockchain. We've had Ethereum on the way with Vitalik Buterin, Joseph Lubin and the others. It's now worldwide accepted technology open blockchain uses eaters then there was the hyperledger initiative which is in itself already at this time four uh, different initiatives under umbrella as we call it this has mm -hmm. come uh, under the leadership of brian bellendorf the linux foundation is behind it it's open source it's governed by all the the, the right licensing agreements and so on and so forth and the Within Hyperledger, we now have those four streams that I mentioned, which is Fabric, Sawtooth Lake, Iroha, and now also R3, more to come. So we see this conversion uh, out of very long time ago, only Bitcoins being tokens on a blockchain. We're now there with an architecture that is 
almost really enterprise ready to go into full production for real big environments. And that is like the passion and the challenge and the good energy that uh, we see in front of us in which we would love to continue working. Okay, very good. And how can listeners learn more about Intellect EU um, and learn more, again, more about your company and what you're doing? What's the best way? Uh, well, as usual, the answer is uh, on the internet. Uh, although we are kind of discreet on everything that we publish about what we do, um, sure. we are a very active member in Hyperledger community and uh, very proud to be there to begin with uh, and rather active, not to say the most active, but still. And uh, if people want to find out more about us, uh, just let's say contact us or contact Hyperledger dot org uh, Linux Foundation and uh, they can guide and steer and reference and uh, get get the things uh, the questions to the right people. Okay, Cherkaval, very good. Thank you. I appreciate your time for the interview. Thank you very much, Rich. You have been listening to Almost Here Around the Corner Future Technology Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Subscribe to this podcast both to review to discover more future technologies that are poised to transform our lives for better or worse, such as Bitcoin, artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more.